Ever wonder why we are always driving change in our schools? Ever wonder why change initiatives rarely seem to produce the promised results? What if there was a better way? What if instead of making sweeping changes, we just made tomorrow a little bit better than today? If the concept of incremental yet immediate change appeals to you, then listen to today's show on the four principles of leverage. Hello, colleagues, and welcome to the Assistant Principal Podcast. I'm your host, Frederick Buskey. The goal of this podcast is to help improve the life and leadership of assistant principals. This podcast complements APEX, the Assistant Principal Acceleration Program, but you certainly don't need to be an APEX member to find value in the podcast. Okay, true confession time. I'm a bit of a perfectionist, and usually for these solo podcasts, I actually type out a script and read my script verbatim. But I've been really ill the last few days, and I've gotten behind, and I just don't have time to type out a script. So what you're going to get today is an MVP podcast. MVP stands for Minimally Viable Product, so or maybe Minimally Viable Polished in this case. So forgive any errors. Now, the thing that really works well is that this idea of putting something out there that's unpolished works perfectly for today's topic. Because if you want to think about it, an unpolished podcast today is more valuable to you than no podcast today, but a great one next week or maybe next month, right? And so that's the whole theme today is this idea of putting stuff out there that is minimally viable, but that results in an immediate improvement in the situation. <clears throat> so let's start with this. Think for a minute, what advantage does a skateboard have over a Cadillac? That's right. What advantage does a skateboard have over a Cadillac? When I ask this question in training groups, I get lots of different answers. Skateboards are cheaper. You don't have to pay insurance. You can carry them with you. They can go places that Cadillacs don't go. Repairs are cheaper. There are all kinds of reasons why a Cadillac is better than, or excuse me, why a skateboard is better than a Cadillac. But it, it kind of comes back to this idea of a skateboard is a minimally viable product. If you look at the way they develop cars from the from the concept and design process through the final um, point at which a car can actually be produced in the factory and, and get to the lot so you can drive it, takes about five years. And when we first come up with that car concept, there's nothing valuable in that. There's nothing that we can use until we get to the end product, right? So as a car, if you think about a car being built on an A to Z in A to Z steps, step M gets you nothing. Step Y gets you nothing. You get nothing until you get to step Z, right? And that's, that's the way we typically do change this A to Z process. But what if we did it differently? What if we took an idea that we need better transportation and instead of spending five years to build and and save up money for a car what if we bought a skateboard and then as our resources improved and we had a little bit of time maybe we could put some handlebars on that skateboard and now we have a scooter 
and then we could put some kind of rigging and a chain and some gears on that and then we get a bicycle and then we could throw a little motor on the back of it and now we have a moped until finally we get to the point where we can have a car and the idea of a minimally viable product is it is not what we want at the end result but it is an improvement on what we have at that time and it's an immediate improvement that we can that we can afford and that we can use so as we work through this you keep in mind that analogy of the skateboard versus a cadillac if you listen to the first episode of this podcast then you'll remember we talked about the six dimensions of organizations right the pinnacle of an organization is the purpose and that's what should drive everything the other three big components in the organization itself are the people, the structures, and the resources. And then those people, structures, and resources are influenced by external forces as well as by internal forces. We talked about also the work of leadership is really the work to align organizations because when the people, resources, and structures are all in alignment with a purpose, then you have an effective organization that's making progress and that people feel good about working in. But what naturally happens is organizations don't stay in alignment. There are always things that are happening that are pushing them out of alignment. So the work of leadership is really to bring alignment to organizations through the process of change. So leadership is inherently connected with change. Now, the other thing we talked about in episode one was this idea of strategic leadership. What's a strategic leader, right? And there are four pieces to strategic leadership. Purpose, problems, progress, and people. Strategic leaders focus on, what, on the purpose or what's important versus what's urgent. They focus on problems instead of symptoms. They focus on progress instead of action and they focus on people instead of tasks. And today we really wanna look at that third part of that, of the strategic leadership, which is progress over action. And the idea there is that we can be really busy doing a lot of stuff, taking a lot of actions without actually making things better. And in fact, I'd argue that's a lot of what big change is. So before we jump into the big change or traditional change, Let's think about the concept of leverage and let's think about it in, in scientific terms. So in leverage, there, there are four things at work here. The first is the fulcrum, right? And, and the fulcrum is what we're going to place the lever on in order to move the load. The closer the fulcrum is to the load, the easier it is to move the load. So the first part of leverage is the fulcrum. The second part of leverage is the load itself. Obviously, a bigger load is going to be harder to move than a smaller load. The third part of leverage is the lever. And a longer, stronger lever is going to move things easier than, <clears throat> than a short lever that's weak. And then the fourth thing is force, and how much force we need to generate. And and that's where the magic of leverage comes in. If you have a fulcrum that's close to the load, you have a smaller load and a longer lever, then you need very little force to move things. 
If on the other hand, you're trying to move a really big load and your fulcrum is far from that load, then you need a much longer lever or a, lo a much more force in order to move things. Now the problem is that with traditional change, we usually begin with a fulcrum that is far from the load. The reason that happens is because in traditional change, we tend to focus on symptoms instead of problems. If we were to address a problem, that would move us closer to the load. But because we don't often take time to do a deep dive into what's happening and what our pro real problem is, we wind up treating symptoms. And the effect on that in terms of leverage is moving the fulcrum away from the load. The second thing that we tend to do is we develop a, a long implementation timeline in which all of the upfront work is pretty much useless to us until we get to the final end product. So we design things on an A to Z scale. We start with A, we work all the way through the alphabet, but we really can't use anything until we get to Z. So that means that in order to get anything meaningful, we have to lift all of A to Z. So it's a very heavy load. We also then, in order to try to make this work, is we develop a really complicated or long lever in order to move that load. And then finally, because of this big load and the fulcrum being far and a, and a complicated lever, we need a lot of force, right? And, and the longer your implementation, the more effort it takes to push down on that lever to move that load. And this is why big change fails. Typically, when we put in a big change, uh, we spend way too little energy on the front end identifying what the root problem is. We have a symptom, somebody's at a conference and they hear a great speaker or they read a great book and they figure, oh, this is going to be the solution to our problem. Well, they haven't even uncovered the problem. We're thinking about symptoms, but they run in and say, hey, we're going to do this big change. It's exactly what we need. We generally do a pretty good job in developing an implementation plan. The, the, generally, the biggest problem in our development is that we miss key stakeholders. So in schools, uh, we may come up with big ideas and then not include teachers in developing the implementation. And then this is where it all breaks down is when we get into implementation itself, because usually we have a long implementation timeline maybe one year, maybe two years, sometimes even up to three years. And as soon as we get into that, you're going to hit, get hit with there's unanticipated consequences of the change itself. There's other things that come up in the environment. You have new employees, you have employee turnover, you have a key player uh, in the whole initiative that may leave. That may leave. And, and so what happens is you just have these really disappointing results. You invest all this time, all this energy, we, we do all these activities and move forward and we're really not getting results. And then the whole thing kind of peters out. And usually what happens with big changes, we don't conclude it, it just kind of fades away and we get to abandonment. And then we never get to the evaluation phase to look at not only did the change work, but why did it work or why did it not work? So let's change this up. Let's take an MVP incremental approach to change. And 
And when you hear me talk about the four principles of leverage, I'm talking about how we take those four different pieces of leverage and apply them to this idea of progress, right? Progress being one of those four principles of strategic leadership. We wanna make progress. And so to get progress, we use the four principles of leverage. So the first principle of leverage is zero is greater than one. Okay, math people don't flip out on me. Zero is greater than one. Maybe more accurately, zero comes before one. And the idea there, if one is a symptom, zero is the problem. So if we can take time to identify a root problem, in effect, what that does is that moves the fulcrum much closer to our load, which is going to make it much easier for us to make change. So zero is greater than one. When you do the four principles of leverage, we need to focus on what the root problem is. Don't treat symptoms, treat problems. The second thing then is that we lower the load. Instead of going A to Z, we go A to B. And I hope I do a good job preaching this in, in the podcasts and you'll see it in some of my other materials. And if you work with me in Apex, we have got to work A to B. A to B means I'm gonna do a tiny, small thing that is gonna make the situation better tomorrow. If we have a student that's calling out 25 times every class period, we don't need to develop a big behavior plan and have a big meeting in order to get that student to be calling out zero times a period. That's not what's important. That'll take too long. It's a delayed action. We don't even know if our things are gonna work. What we need to do is A to B. We need to get from 25 to 20, right? If we can stop them from calling out five times or if we can get it down to 10 times, that's a drastic improvement. And if we can make that improvement happen right now, that's what we need to do. So always think about the simplest things and the, the shortest amount of improvement, the smallest chunk of, cha of change that we can get. So that's always A to B. So instead of A to Z, we're gonna go A to B. And then the lever piece of it is the concept of MVP, that minimally viable product. Instead of making a fancy plan, instead of looking at all kinds of changes and being sophisticated, let's be as simple as possible. And let's take some action that may not be a great action, it may not be um, real sophisticated, but let's just try it out and let's do it right now without investing a lot of time into it. And again, that's the key, right? We want these short turnaround cycles. Now, when we look at the problem or the zero is greater than one, and when we work A to B and we have an MVP lever, which is really simple, we're not requiring a lot of effort from people. <clears throat> and that fourth piece, that effort is really, really critical. So the, the formula for the fourth part of leverage is M equals V divided by E, or motivation equals value divided by effort. I love this principle and it's something that was shared with me with um, one of my mentors, Jan Osborne. And what it, if you think about it, it's really a kind of universal math formula for motivation. And, and considering the quotient, I don't know if that's the right word, considering the formula, there's no such thing as a motivation problem. 
right? If somebody's not motivated, it means one of two things. Either they don't see the value in what they're doing or the effort is too great given what the value is. And, and the thing about the way that value and effort equation works in leverage is because we're doing an immediate, immediate improvement, that's high value. An immediate improvement in my situation tomorrow is worth much more than some promised land thing three months from now. I want my life to be better tomorrow. And, and when we move A to B, we're gonna get that improvement. And so that leads to the increase in value. And because we're only moving A to B and we're focusing on the root problem, then our effort still is little. So a little bit of effort, immediate improvement, that means high value. So those are the four principles of, of leverage. So let me present a uh, demonstration of the difference between big change and using incremental change in the form of leverage on a story uh, about my daughter. So when Mara was young, uh, she would, we'd have a situation where she would just, her room would be a mess. Uh, it would just get slowly, slowly, slowly out of control until there was this big mess. And so we would have interactions that would go something like this. And this is the big change version of the interaction. Mara, you need to clean your room. No, I can't clean my room. Mara, clean your room now. It's a mess and we have company coming over. No, I can't clean my room. Clean your room right now or you will be grounded. No, why are you so mean? So that's the big change version. And uh, because there was so much perceived effort and so little perceived value for Mara in cleaning her room, we got a lot of resistance. Now, if we took a more strategic approach, which we finally learned to do, it would go like this. Mara, you need to clean your room. No, I can't clean my room. Why? What's the problem? So there's the zero is greater than one coming in, right? Before we just try to force some kind of change through, let's figure out what's going on. Why? What's the problem? It's a mess. It's so overwhelming, right? She's looking at clothes everywhere and toys everywhere and a laundry basket and there's all this junk and she just doesn't know where to where to go it's overwhelming all right so maybe we could go a to b what if we just started with just your dirty clothes just throw them in the laundry basket then you can at least see the floor so this is a to b and it's also your mvp a to b is just picking one thing to focus on and then MVP is that easy plan. Pick them up and throw them in the laundry basket. There's nothing complicated about that. So we do A to B, MVP, and then you get that immediate value, right? You can at least see your floor. So that provides immediate value, immediate feedback. And then she says, uh, will you help? Well, company is coming, so we need to clean the rest of the house but we can help you get your dirty clothes off the floor. So we lower that effort for her for that first part of it. And then once she gets those clothes off the floor, she starts to see things, it starts to get easier. We can set her on the next A to B step. We don't then cut her loose and say, okay, clean everything else. We can say, okay, now why don't you match your socks and fold your socks and put those in the drawer and then we'll do the next step. 
So it's kind of a silly little story to illustrate the difference in approach between big change and strategic leverage. Um, a classic example of the way big change happens in schools uh, goes like this. We have an increase in discipline problems one year. And so somebody goes to a conference and we see this thing called um, positive behavior supports, right? PBIS. Oh, it's going to be great. We can take care of all of our discipline problems. So we come back at the beginning of the new year, we implement PBIS, which is, there are lots of components to it, but it is a lot of front end work and you do all these strategies and we implement all this stuff. And most of you have probably been through PBIS, so you know what I'm talking about. And then we get a year into it or we get two years into it and the kids that we were really targeting, their behaviors don't actually change that much. It's all this effort. And three years after we implemented PBIS, we don't have PBIS anymore. It's just kind of gone away. And it's that's a classic kind of big change piece. And so dissecting it, one of the, the first problems is that we just looked at our discipline numbers, which are a symptom of what the underlying problem is. And I was working with a graduate student one time on, on a change project as part of her principal licensure program. And, and she said, we have big discipline problems in our school. I think we should do PBS. And I said, okay, well, go and look at your discipline data and see if you can find any patterns. And she came back a week later and said, we have two teachers who have excessive discipline problems and we have one kid who's out of control right now. So all those resources that they could have devoted, that they would have devoted to PBIS, instead they're able to devote to supporting those two teachers to helping them, them get better at classroom management and then focusing really intensive support for that student who was really struggling. And, and so the failure to really assess and evaluate what the problem is is number one. Um, number two, when when we implement something like PBIS, it is a big lift. And to actually have the significant impact that it does have the, the possibility of having, we have to get all the components in place, not just the reward systems, but also the intervention systems and the support pieces that go with a, a strong PBIS program. And until you get all of those things in place, you're putting out a lot of energy and maybe not seeing a lot of um, a lot of reward. And so again, that's complicated. It's a lot of stuff, so it's not A to B, it's A to Z, and then it's complicated, so it's not an MVP, and consequentially, it takes a lot of effort um, over a sustained period of time. And if you're one of those teachers that have a really well-managed classroom and you didn't have all those behavior problems, what's your V in this, right? If I can manage my classroom, my kids are doing fine, why do I have to participate in all this PBIS garbage? Right? So, so I think that's the classic example of big change. There are many more um, of which you probably could tell me more. In fact, if you have stories of big change that you'd love to that you'd like to share, um, I would love to hear them. I can never get enough of these. And you could, if you want to, just uh, record it on your cell phone and. Put it up somewhere and send me a link or if you want to send me a short recording on your cell phone uh, of this or if you just want to type something up in a paragraph i would love to hear your stories of big change um, and and if they've worked and you think i got something wrong on this 
that's great too. Um, we need to keep getting better. I need to keep improving. So if you want to reach me with a story or any kind of suggestion for making this podcast better, you can reach me at frederick at frederickbuskey.com. If you like more content tailored to the needs of assistant principals, you can head over to my website at frederickbuskey.com. I think if you're not already subscribing to my daily email, um, it really is a valuable tool for helping you to set a leadership intention each morning. And again, at, at my website, you can find a subscription link to that. It's a daily email, 300 words or less delivered to your inbox every morning. So I think that's everything. That wraps up today's show. I'm Frederick Buskey, and I hope you'll join me next time for the Assistant Principal Podcast.